Yes, welcome on into Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. And today we're talking catchers. And specifically, we're talking, is this the greatest catcher class of all time? So the preseason rankings are out. And right now, because we're in a lockout, this is all we've got to go off of. But there are seven catchers ranked as the number one prospect in their organization right now. The Mets have Francisco Alvarez. He should be at double A this year. Uh, The Dodgers have Diego Cartaya. He should be at high A this year. The Astros have Corey Lee, who should be at triple A. The Blue Jays, Gabriel Moreno at triple A. The Nationals have Kiebert Ruiz, who is, I think, technically still a rookie. He may not be eligible for rookie awards, but he's going to be at the MLB level this year. He did get some service time last year. Uh, Tyler Soderstrom is with the Athletics. He'll be at high A. And then the name we've all heard, Adeli Rutschman with the Orioles uh, at AAA. He's considered, I think, the consensus number one prospect in baseball right now. So seven catchers uh, as the number one prospect in their organization. It's kind of unprecedented. I mean, that's, that's a lot of catchers to be the most valuable guy in your minor league system as your catcher is big. But then it doesn't start, it doesn't stop there. There's three more guys that are number two in their system. Uh, the Giants have Joey Bart. The Pirates have Henry Davis and the Braves have Shea Langoliers. They're all the number two prospect in their organization. And then three organizations have a catcher at number three. The Rockies have Drew Romo. Uh, the Padres have Luis Campusano, and then the Royals have MJ Melendez. And so 13 catchers in an organization's top three. That is, I, I, I wanted to say unprecedented. It's not. Uh, 2010 had 14 guys. Um, and the thing there is three of those guys were top 10 in all of baseball. Um, obviously, Buster Posey. Um, Carlos Santana from Cleveland, and then I believe it was uh, I believe it was Jesus Montero. Yeah, Jesus Montero was the third one that was in the top ten of all of baseball, and then they had I believe they had seven as well that were I don't know number one prospects. They had J- Jason Castro for the Astros and Hank Conger for the Angels. So there you go. So, so they had five guys who were number one overall in their system and three in the top ten of all of baseball, but. It's something, I mean, just reading off some of those names, it kind of shows you the hit rate on catchers still hasn't caught up to where it is with a lot of other position players. Obviously, in baseball, more so than any other sport, I think, nothing's really guaranteed, and everybody could could work out or not work out for any given reason. And going through that 2010 list, I mean, Jason Castro, Hank Conger, Jesus Montero, you know, didn't didn't perform like you would expect number one overall, uh, number one prospects in your system to perform. But, you know, they had, what was it? They had 78.9 wins above replacement. And that is the 2012 catching class. And a lot of those guys, a lot of that production came from um, those guys at the top there in 2010, those number one prospects in 2010. Uh, that They ended up with a 95 weighted runs created plus, which is, I think, fourth all time. And as far as offensive production, it's only behind like the 1977 catcher class, which if you're unaware of the 1977 catcher class, because either you weren't alive or you, um, 
you know, just haven't quite, you just don't remember from back then. There was four Hall of Famers in that class. Carlton Fisk, Ted Simmons, Gary Carter, Johnny Bench are all in Cooperstown right now for what they did. And then when you get to the list of guys who aren't in Cooperstown off of 1977, I mean, Thurman Munson, Jim Sundberg, Gene Tennant's, uh, guys you've heard of, guys that that had good careers. So the 1977 class was amazing, and then the 2012 class was amazing. A lot of those guys uh, were top prospects in 2010, and you kind of look back at uh, some of the list. Um, Wilson Ramos was number 58 that year. Tyler Flowers was number 60 that year. Travis Darno was number 81 that year. Austin Romine was 86 that year. So a lot of the prospects from that 2010 class just happened to stick and and produce at great levels. You know, opposing Santana, obviously, into their 30s at a star level, but just like how well that that class did. And then, you know, like I said, 78.9 war and then 1977, 79.1 war and four Hall of Famers. So it's kind of amazing that, you know, that's, that's what came out of this. And I think the question you might ask is why? Why is this class going to surpass that? And what makes this class different? I mean, you heard from the 95 overall weighted runs created plus. I mean, offensively, catchers are below average. So what's going to make this upcoming catcher class so good? And it's a great question, and I want to tell you. But first, I want to talk about what a lot of these guys have done, which is getting fit and eating healthier. And you can do that thanks to Built Bar. So Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It might even be better than a candy bar. And if you want to eat healthy in the new year, it's it's so boring. It's so I'm sorry. I I I've been trying to eat better myself, and it's you just get. Like you can only eat so much salad and so much, you know, steamed vegetables and things like that. Well, guess what? Built Bars, 100% real chocolate. Okay, they're like 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, a lot better for you than a candy bar. And so I've told you to do this before. I did this myself. Uh, my my home, my office, my workplace, my car. I took out all of the stashes of of sugary treats and candy bars, and I replaced them with Built Bars. And the great thing is there's so many flavors to choose from. Peanut butter brownie is one of my favorite. Uh, raspberry, cookies and cream. My wife loves the mint brownies. Tons of options. So go to Built.com. You can see what's new. They have limited time flavors come out as well as they rotate through all of these uh, in-demand, well-known flavors. They had a Rocky Road a while back. Uh, but while you're at Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. That's promo code locked 15 at built.com. So we're talking about why why catchers are better now than, you know, or why is this class going to be better than catchers have been historically in the past? And I kind of I, I I dug in to do some research and I've come up with a couple different things that I can figure out. Obviously if you have ideas, if you think uh if you have some ideas of why catchers are better now, reach out to the show. We're on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us lockedonmlbprospects at gmail.com. But one of the first things that I did is just was looking up statistics to try to figure out uh, like what what defines great. Like I said, like I, it's a bit hypocritical because I said this at the top of the show. But yeah, I said, is this the greatest catcher class ever? But 
what defines greatness. Like that's that's subjective, right? If you look at offensive performance, then you could just take anybody and from the field for the most part and put him behind the plate and he would be a, an offensively great catcher because catchers WRC plus of 95. And that was one of the top classes of all time. So it can't be that 1977 class has four hall of famers. Is it, is it hall of fame? Cause that feels like it's subjective and completely arbitrary. I mean, you see the conversation going on now behind hall of fame ballots and, and, who deserves to get in, who doesn't deserve to get in. And remember, there's a limited number of players you can vote for. So every vote for this person is a vote that this other guy can't get. So like, if you had four catchers hit the ballot the same year and there's a lot of great deserving candidates in there, then it like it's one of those situations where you would struggle to put in the guys who probably deserve to be in because you only had so many votes you could do. I think the NFL cleared this up a few years ago. They finally had an induction class of like 20 guys because they had that rule of they would do like five guys a year. That was it. And they had so many great players that were retiring that they just did a back. They just cleared a backlog and they voted in like 20, 25 players. So it can't be that. And I think I end up coming back to war. Uh, you know, just wins above replacement. I mean, we're if you're listening to a prospect show, you're a baseball nerd. You know what war is. But um, the 2012 class, 78.9 war. The 1977 class, 79.1 war. I think this class has the potential to pass all of that. Uh, but again, why? Why are they better? So a couple of things I looked at. And the first one is, especially, you know, when you compare to the 2012 class and especially to the 1977 class, uh, catchers are just better athletes in general. JT Real Muto is not just a fast catcher. He's fast, period. I mean, he he was probably third or fourth on my fantasy team in steals. I think he had double-digit steals this year. It's uh, last year. Something like that. So, like, catchers in general, we see guys like Jorge Alfaro, who can play the outfield. Dalton Varsho for, uh, with Arizona, who's playing the outfield uh, and catching. Like, they have the mobility where it's not a catcher first base thing. It's a catcher outfield thing. That's just how, how much better of athletes they are. And in general, you see over time, you see better and better athletes entering sports. And that's not just in in baseball. That's in the NFL. That's in the NBA. Every every player that's drafted is just seems to be a little bit faster and be able to jump a little bit higher and hit a little bit harder. Um, that's just natural progression, especially from 1977 when a lot of these guys weren't even full-time professionals yet. They still work jobs in the offseason or you know they smoked in the dugout, things like that. Uh, but then another thing that I noticed is there's been a stronger focus by Major League Baseball teams to take college catchers over prep catchers. And this is the thing, if you remember, uh, I think it was yesterday, we were talking international draft, and we talked about how you need 1,500 at-bats to really kind of know who a guy is. And your your top position players are going to get, like, what, 700 bats a year? But your best catchers are going to get... 450 500 maybe 600 and then the same thing goes for for calling games um, but in 2010 there was 10 high school catchers taken in the first 10 rounds of the draft last year there was only five taken in the first 10 rounds and I'm sure part of that is the fact that the the 2020 draft was only five rounds and a lot of guys went back to school because they weren't selected. I mean, that's probably something to do with it, but that, that, that's that been coming down ever since 2010. It's not just a one-year fluky thing. It's been getting lower and lower, and I think that MLB teams are starting to understand 
that they don't properly know how to quantify some of the extra things behind catching. So obviously we saw uh, pitch framing become a big thing. We saw pitch framing become a metric that can be measured and, and, and compared and contrast between guys. And they started evaluating guys. Um, we saw defensive positioning for catchers. Everybody's doing the one knee now. And, and, it's funny, whenever I watch a baseball game and I see a commentator complain about the guys dropping down to a knee, my first thought is, like, if you if it didn't work, why is every team doing it? So I mean, it, it obviously works. And it's kind of like when somebody beats the shift. Like, you're going to have anecdotal evidence that says, oh, yeah, hey, like, if you wouldn't have shift, that would have been an out. Well, yeah, but you robbed 20 outs before this one got through because you were shifted. Same thing with the one knee. I think the next big milestone, I say milestone, I, the next big big, big uh, advance in catching statistics is going to be some sort of game-calling measurement. Uh, we've tried to come up with some things. I say we, I haven't done any of it. Uh, Sabermetrics you know, has tried to figure out some ways to measure uh, game-calling. I've seen catcher's ERA goes out, you know, goes out there and it's the ERA that pitchers throwing to this catcher has. And I understand the idea behind that catcher's ERA feels like one of those stats that suffers from sample size. And then you're obviously you're a victim of who you get matched up in the rotation, what those matchups are. I feel like you probably can't get enough innings to have a meaningful sample unless you do it over multiple years. And then there's so many variables as far as roster construction and ballparks and lineups that you have a lot of noise and you're trying to find a signal in there. So, I mean, catcher's ERA, I, I like the concept, but I think in practice, it's hard to use that to evaluate catchers. There's just so much about the game calling aspect that we haven't been able to quantify with numbers, but we know it's important. And I think you can see that when you see the focus on college catchers over prep catchers. They want the the catchers who have had an extra two seasons or three seasons working with a pitching staff. And I mean a pitching staff of guys that are, you know, much better quality where they have a lot more control, they have more power and they're 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 calling something closer to a big league game than they are a high school baseball game or a a showcase baseball game over a weekend. So I think that's a big part of it. And again, I expect that next that next realm to really be uh, game, some sort of game-calling measurement is probably going to be that next big thing whenever we get there. Uh, but sp- speaking of new things, BetOnline wants to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the NFL playoffs. So remember, BetOnline is number one sport, number one spot for all best sports wagering action in 2022 doesn't matter if it's football basketball hockey boxing ufc vegas casino games and even mlb futures as soon as this lockout's over Uh, you can take advantage of all their amazing offers available for 2022 they have a new desktop a new mobile website so go to betonline.ag receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code locked on to get started betonline.ag promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. Bet online is where the game starts. And since we've been talking about catchers this entire time, what I want to do now is I want to play for you a, a short segment that I did with Locked On Yankees. We were talking about uh, former collegiate catcher and now um, 
coach of the Tampa Tarpons, Rachel Balkovec, the first woman to coach in minor league baseball. Uh, she is the first manager of a of a male team. Uh, she has a great resume, and I spent about seven or eight minutes talking to our friends from Long Island Yankees, telling them more about it, and kind of explaining exactly what this means for baseball, what this means for the Yankees specifically, some of their prospects, including Jason Dominguez. Um, so enjoy. So as I said in the open, I am joined by a guest. And if you're on YouTube, you can see him right next to me, Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects. Lindsey, thank you for joining the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Stacey. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to talk about Rachel Balkovec because this is I'm just so over the moon with this news. Nothing could thrill me more because as a person who is femme and who was raised as a girl, I consider myself non-binary right now. But um, having a woman manager on any level in the Yankee organization is just the coolest thing to me. And I actually can't believe it happened. And this is just great. So we have Lindsay on because he knows a lot about Rachel and the prospects she'll be working with, and we're going to discuss that. So um, I just wanted to do this for all of my listeners who may not be up on the minor leagues, because there are some of you out there that aren't as up on the minor leagues as some other people. So I wanted to do this for you. So Lindsay, what can you tell everyone about Rachel's career path? Okay, so Rachel was a collegiate catcher. She caught at Creighton, got her degree in exercise science, uh, transferred as a grad transfer to the University of New Mexico, got another degree, master's in kinesiology. Uh, so baseball background. And then from there, she's had a lot of jobs in baseball. She's spent about 10 years in baseball so far. Uh, she started off as the interim strength and conditioning coach with the St. Louis Cardinals in, in 2012 in Johnson City. Um, first time we'd ever seen a woman hired as a strength and conditioning coach. And she actually won the Appalachian League Award for Strength Coach of the Year, her very first year in the job. So 2014, she gets that job full-time, has that job for two years. Uh, the Cardinals have seen a lot of success come out of Johnson City, and they directly credited her with that. Uh, from, from there, she joins the Astros. She becomes their Latin American strength and conditioning coach. And so I love what she did here because she gets that job. She's excited about that job. So she goes out and learns fluent Spanish. And, and something that a lot of players that I've talked to, a lot of prospects that I've talked to, especially the Latin American guys, when they first get to the States from Latin America, uh, they really struggle to transition. And they've always talked about, the ones who have been successful have always talked about there was that person in the organization who, one, spoke their language and was the bridge between the Latin American players and the American culture. Sometimes that's a player. Sometimes that's a coach. Sometimes that's uh, a translator for somebody. But it's Usually when guys are successful making that transition, it's because they've had that support network. And she really was that for the Astros. She spent two years down in Latin America with those guys speaking fluent Spanish. Then they moved her to double A Corpus Christi as a strength and conditioning coach there. And it's, it's, she's done a, you know, she did, she did a lot of great work with them. First woman to hold that position as well. And just about every job she went to, she was the first woman to hold that position in baseball. And then she did something interesting. 2018, she left and went to the Netherlands to get a master's degree, a second master's degree in human movement sciences. And when she came back from that, the Yankees hired her to be a hitting coach for spring training in 2020. 
And obviously we know what happened in 2020. We're familiar with all of that. So she ended up going to Australia, coached in Australia for the pandemic, uh, did some stuff, including in, including their, their all-star game, spent some time there. And then now she is the, the low A manager uh, of the Tampa Tarpons. And the reason that I love this hire so much is because what she's going to do for some of those toolsy guys down there who have lost some time because of the missing 2020 season. I'm thinking about Jason Dominguez specifically, the center fielder. Um, he hasn't had a whole lot of professional baseball experience, but he spent time with her. They've bonded. And I feel like she's really going to do a great job at transitioning him into um, the majors, you know, getting him where he needs to go simply because she has that relationship. She's exceptionally well-qualified for a single-A manager. Um, and then she speaks the language. And that is one of those big things that we can't really measure the impact of that bridge person. But we've heard from so many prospects about that was what was key to them to successfully make it through the minor leagues and make it to the major league level. Right. Yeah, I can't even imagine being someone coming from a foreign country, not knowing the language and feeling alone in a sense. I remember Mar Mariano Rivera struggled with that a lot when he first came over. And it is great that there are coaches and managers out there who are learning the language to help them communicate with these guys. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, Dominguez is young. He's still really young and it's good for him to have someone like Rachel to help him out. Um, is there anyone else you can think of that she may be able to help down there? So, I mean, a lot of that, that single A roster are guys that she's worked with a bit already. Uh, so I mean, there's not really a person that she's not going to help, but mm -hmm. I'm just thinking specifically um, in the past, the Yankees have struggled a bit. I feel like developing some of those Latin American players. And so that's where I really see her as being, having an advantage over some other hire. And honestly, we've done all of this. I haven't even mentioned the fact that she's a woman. I just, I, she's an exceptionally well-qualified manager, despite the fact, you know, I mean, like it's, it's irregardless of her, of her gender. She's right. just an exceptionally well-qualified manager. And, and I'm very excited to see what she does at single A. And I'm very excited that my six-year-old daughter was like, Hey, can I coach baseball? I'm like, yes, baby, you can. Yeah. She's doing it. Yeah. So just, just being able to set that example. Um, I applaud the Yankees for going out there and getting her and, and for keeping her, the giants tried to hire her away and she interviewed with them and she stayed with the Yankees. And I think that shows that she's one of the rising stars in the system, in the organization. Yeah. Maybe she'll replace Aaron Boone at some point. I have seen a few people already ask for that. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's something I can see within the next five years, her being involved with the major league team at some level, right. um, probably given, given her background, I would say a hitting coach and then working with the catchers directly. I, you know, like I said, she did catch in college. Uh, she was a pretty well accomplished softball catcher. So I can see her being involved in both of those areas as you come up and as she gets to the major league level. Yeah. Rising star. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all, everything about it is so cool. And as you said, she's so qualified that if you looked at her resume and didn't know that she was a woman, you'd be like, well, yeah, of course you would hire this person to be the manager of the Tampa Tarpons. Why not? Because they have such an extensive background. And I was looking on um, her Instagram and seeing some of her pictures and she's amazing. The strength mm -hmm. training stuff, you know, I'm, 
I'm getting back into working out. I don't want to look like that, but I couldn't look like that. I don't have the discipline to look like that. But just, you know, you know, when you see other people who are doing exercise like that and you see their arms and you think, wow, that's that's nice. Yeah, that would be great to have. But yeah, <laughs> I'm would, just, you know, jazzed. This is great. <laughs> I would be suspicious of a strength and conditioning coach that didn't? that didn't didn't that didn't look strong. Right. It's kind of like uh, getting food from a chef who's incredibly skinny. You're like, wait a second. Yeah. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same thing there. And going back to your question of guys that I think she can help. And I just kind of said everybody, but now that I think more about it, Austin Wells mm. is someone who I think she's going to make a great impact on the knock on him that I've seen uh, comes defensively. It feels like he has below average arm strength and specifically he struggles to throw out base runners. Uh, and that was something that she did rather well. And when you watch tape of him, it looks like he has a lot of wasted movement and excess just in his motion, it, it's not as streamlined as it could be. And that's a technique thing, but obviously not only having been a catcher, but having studied exercise science and kinesiology and human movement sciences, I think she's qualified to, to uh, get his mo throwing motion more efficient, improve his pop time and really help him where he can at least be average defensively behind the plate. His, uh, he has been as advertised offensively. And so if he can keep that up and then just get to average defensively, he's going to be able to stick around for a while in New York. The one fun fact I have about Austin Wells is he was born on the day that I started at NBC, July 12th, 1999. So wow. I'll never, I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget his birthday. And that'll always be stuck in my head because that was the first day. It was a Monday and it was the first day I started at NBC. <laughs> Because I like looking up the kids, you know, well, I don't like it because, you know, it makes you realize how old you are. Yeah. And, um, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm almost 25 years older than that kid. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm, so, yeah. I'm close to the point where some of these, uh, some of these prospects could be my children. Mm -hmm. Like right now, the international signing period is on uh, Saturday. And if you want more about that, check out Friday's show of Locked on MLB Prospects. We're talking all about it. But some of those kids being, you know, 16 years old and whatnot, uh, they're at the point where they could be my children. And that's just a little bit, that's a hard fact to to kind of swallow is yeah, those could be my kids. Yeah. I'm almost at the point where I can be their grandmother. So, you know, it's, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, Lindsay, thank you for joining me on Locked on Yankees. You can find Lindsay at Crosby Baseball on Twitter and MLB Prospects, Locked On MLB Prospects. He's the new host of the show. And we're very excited to have you on the Locked On Network and wish you well with your show. Thank you for having me. Okay. And this will conclude another episode of Locked On MLB Prospects. Remember that Locked On MLB Prospects and all the rest of your favorite Lockdown shows are free and available on all podcast platforms. It's the only daily podcast that covers your team and your interests. So go out there, find us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, everywhere else, literally that does podcasts. I don't know why I keep trying to say a couple specific ones. Uh, so like the show, rate the show, review the show, subscribe, tell your friends. If you have any questions, feel free to send them. The show's on Twitter at LockedOnFarm. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, or you can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. You stay tuned tomorrow. We have a crossover with our friends from Locked On Pirates. We're going to spend the entire episode talking all about the Pirates minor league system. It's one of the best in baseball, so you're really going to enjoy it. This has been Locked On MLB Prospects.